we care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. Hey there, welcome to Land Decolonized, audio conversations about First Nations removing themselves from land provisions in the Indian Act. Doig River First Nation, north of Fort St. John, B.C., is now in the process of drafting its own land code, and the timing could not be better. Doig River is now adding land thanks to an historic Treaty 8 land entitlement agreement after 23 years of negotiating. Here to tell the story with me is Land Code Coordinator Jasmine Poos Coopy. Enjoy. Jasmine, it is so great to have you on the podcast from way up north. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. I've been reading a lot about Doig River lately. The Tax Commission did a great article about things you're doing there. I heard your chief on a podcast recently talking about all kinds of developments. For a small community, you guys have got a lot on the go. Yeah, that's so true. We've got multiple projects underway, um, including obviously land code. That's our uh, that's my focus right now. Um, but yeah, Doig River is progressing very fast. Sometimes it's a little scary how fast we're going, but I mean, it's the the faster the wheel turns, the the faster we'll keep up. So it's exciting times for Doig River. Yeah, and it's not that big of a community, right? No, we only have um, approximately 325 members that belong to Doig. Um, about 160 live on reserve and the rest are off reserve, uh, spread out in Western Canada, mostly. There's a couple um, members that live out in Toronto. So, yeah, they're not a big community. Is there a main reserve and then some satellite reserves elsewhere? Right now, we have our main reserve, which is IR-206, that's located in northeastern BC, about 100 kilometers north of Fort St. John. That would be our closest uh, municipality. Then we have a smaller uh, portion of reserve that is even further north, but there's no development on it right now. It's, it's mainly just hunting grounds. Then we have recently ATR'd some parcels within Fort St. John, and that's really exciting. So we have... Um, approximately 25 acres within the city of Fort St. John that we are, um, you know, coming up with plans and, and trying to, you know, develop and, uh, you know, add to our economy as best we can. So that's, that's exciting times that just happened last year. So we're working hard on land code, uh, so that we can begin those development, you know, um, applications. Well, you're one of those communities that has very wisely tapped into the national organizations like Financial Management Board, uh, the Tax Commission, Lands Advisory Board. How important is it working with all those teams of advisors? It's extremely important, especially when you have so many projects on the go. Um, We all have to collaborate and, and make sure that we're all, you know, working towards the same goal, which we are, but trying to do that in an efficient manner, that that's the hardest part. But, you know, every day is a new day. So, you know, when you when you have trip ups, you just you just try again and you keep moving forward. Um, and all the things that Doig is working towards is definitely setting us up for the future and our community for for so many different great things and opportunities. Is the end goal economic self-sufficiency or is it even broader like self-government? 
We're not looking into self-government yet. Um, right now, it'd be economic benefits and, and opportunity. That That's our main driver. Um, just trying to tap into those land bases that are available and, you know, things like gas stations and, you know, whatever else we're, that we're researching that we feel our community needs within our membership, but also our surrounding communities for demands. Let's talk about the land code process. Uh, right now, you're a developmental First Nation. Maybe describe what that means to people who might not be familiar with the terminology. So we're in the developmental stage, as you said, which is um, the step right before we go operational. So right now, it's making sure that the membership is understands what land code is, meaning that, you know, removing ourselves from 44 sections of the Indian Act and, you know, assuming control of those lands and being able to make decisions. At a, at a grassroots level, not in Ottawa, which is a very far away from here. And I'm sure lots of people in Ottawa wouldn't even know where we are. So it's been a two-year process, well, three years overall, but COVID kind of has, you know, put some wrenches into that as it did with everybody. But now that, you know, the restrictions are off, we've been able to do a lot of community engagement. The RC Centre has really given us a lot of praise for, for how much engagement we've been doing, um, and the consensus across the board so far has been that they're really impressed with the information we've been putting out. They understand it. We haven't been getting a lot of feedback um, for people who, who are still confused or, or don't understand the benefits of it. So, you know, my, my team and myself, we, we take pride in that, that we've done a, you know, every chance that we've had, we'll, we'll throw land code out there and, and, you know, hey, do you understand this? Or do you know what a lease is? Or, you know you know, um, how zoning works, which is kind of our next steps of where we're going is, is going into that more difficult things like land use planning and, and zoning and, and whatnot. But it, but you're right. It is good to start with the basics too. <clears throat> I was working with a Mi'kmaq community here in Nova Scotia that was in the developmental phase and the consult, uh, consultation meetings, community meetings, we had somebody from the resource center come down and start going over those fundamentals and there's no harm in repeating those, right? Yeah. Yeah. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Actually, that's been one of the things that has really helped us because like, let's be honest, there's a lot of different codes out there. There's the membership codes, the election codes, um, land codes. So it, it trying to make sure that you're keeping all those projects separate and those initiatives, you know, clear and concise that that's been our challenge. Um, and, you know, I'm sure it's the challenge of many First Nations, but, and, and it's such a, a comprehensive document, you know, as well. When so to take it and and uh, try to make it simple to simple terms, while keeping it separate from all those other things. Like I said, that's been our biggest challenge. But you know, day by day and repeat, repeat, and and just you know, no, it doesn't affect our treaty rights. We're okay there, you know, and just always re, re, uh, reverting back to those fundamentals and and those basics. That's been, I think, what's really helped us and, and helped the membership. Yeah, and even in a small community, I mean, you've got a wide audience. You've got young people, you've got teenagers, youth in their 20s, and then at the other end of the spectrum, older elders. So did you have a different strategy to reach, you know, those separate groups? Yeah, we did, including our, our you know, all-inclusive meetings that, that we've done. We did multiple elders trips that we would just take them out onto the land base or into, we have a cultural area um, adjacent to our band office that's on the river. So we did a ladies tea and luncheon down there. And it's 
we never had any like strict criteria of what we were talking about when we when we had those meetings. It was let's just have conversations about what you think land code is and and see you know where your comprehension's at or what questions you might have or concerns. And it really helped to split up the elders in those groups between men and women and the youth. We did, you know, separate youth groups where we would be like, hey, like these are the jobs that we're going to be, you know, needing in the future. Or what do you see happening with these urban reserve lands, you know, beyond the the obvious things like the gas station. That's our biggest one right now. We want the gas station. So that's our our first priority once we get this this done, breaking ground for that. Um but trying to engage the youth and the elders, it, it it hasn't been that bad. Most of them have been pretty on board. Um, and it's it's been interesting to see. And, and, you know, it's been fun to see all the membership actually learn all this stuff and come up, up to speed with us. It, it It's good. And we're very confident that we're going to have a really good turnout um, and, and a good positive result. And you still have to reach out to even people like those folks you mentioned in Toronto, right? They yes. have to be brought in. Yeah, they do. And um, I guess that's another big challenge is just making sure that all the contact information is up to date. That That is that is a tricky thing within a First Nation, but we constantly did it. With every mail out we did, we would redo the, the mail out list and, and update everybody's contact. We would call them, you know, one-on-one. And luckily, we're a smaller um, First Nation, so it's a little easier to do. I couldn't imagine a large one that has thousands of people in it. So kudos to those guys for being able to handle that because it, it is a challenge. Have you gone to land use planning in particular, and has that been done fairly recently? So when they posted the land code coordinator job, there was a land use planner who also applied for it. And they ended up creating a whole new position when they hired me as a land code coordinator they created a land use planner position as well. So he and I work very closely together and, and I've been forever grateful for all the knowledge that he's been giving me and, and helping me and bringing me up to speed on, on all those different aspects of land use planning, like the bylaws. I've, I've been involved in the development and in, um, not implementation yet, but the development of all these bylaws that come with the urban reserve and all these new parcels that are going to be ATR'd in the future because they are so unique and they'll have unique set of laws that needs to go with each one of them. So it's it's been uh, fascinating, frustrating, <laughs> but overall, I mean, I, I just I can't complain about the amount of, of knowledge that I've gained in this position. Um, Doig offers so many different opportunities, even before land code is going to be a thing. It, it's amazing. I'm I'm proud of my community for for how much they've done and the opportunities that they've given me. And I, I saw where the chief was talking to about some uh, some of the development. And pardon me if I mispronounce the name of your development corporation. Uh, is it Ujo or Ujo? Ujo, um, Ujo or Uju. There's different pronunciations, and they and they kind of mean different things. Actually, I'm wearing my hat right now. That is Ujo. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's nice. Our- you know what? That would look really good on me on the golf course. I think I'm going to have to send <laughs> you one then. <laughs> um, Ujo Development Corp. Yeah, they're they're a newer entity within the last, uh, I think, five years that they've been around. So they're definitely going to assist us in in developing our urban parcels. You know, even even opportunities on the on the existing reserves too. But Ujo has um, a maintenance company that's also built in, and and they have you know box trucks and graders, and they do a lot of road maintenance and and road construction and for pipeline and and facility work. So they've definitely been been taking so many different steps 
um, that's going to help in the governance structure of, of Deloitte. You mentioned the urban reserve. Uh, if I could just touch on that, it I saw one map where there was property right across from an elementary school. Is that the primary location you're talking about? Yes, that would be our first one that we're looking to develop and um, and hoping to go. Like I said, the first thing that they, like we've got con- concepts and conceptual drawings that we're doing um we're really shooting for a gas station there first and foremost. Uh, I know my grandmother, she greatly misses the laundromat in town. So I hope that we'll be able to put something like that or one of the members will start up a business to do that. But that is our primary focus, that that first eight acres, yeah. What you've learned so far, I think you've been in the position, what, about two years roughly? Or? Yes. What advice would you have, maybe just a couple of tips for people in other communities that might be just moving into the developmental stage based on your wealth of experience and knowledge <laughs> in the position? Uh, what are some things that you would pass along? Some things I'd like to pass along. Um, try and, and figure out your communication strategy. It's the biggest breakdown in any organization. I don't care where you're at. Communication, it, it's the most obvious of issues to deal with, but it's the hardest to deal with and, and to find solutions for. So to really make sure that you know what your message is, what you're trying to get across, to find valuable resources to go to. So like the RC Center's website has been, it's been really helpful, but I'm going to be honest, Google has been too. There's a lot of First Nations out there that have all their information online that is that has been, you know, really helpful when I'm doing my brochures and whatnot to be like, hey, that's a really good bit of information to add on. Reaching out to other First Nations, you know, I've, I feel like I could have done that a little bit more. So I would encourage people to do that. Um, sometimes it's tricky, though. We know how busy First Nations are, especially in this day and age. And uh, trying to coordinate meetings, that that's another tricky one. But um I'm glad that we're able to start networking again. We're going to Vancouver next week, actually, for a three-day conference with the RC Centre. And I'm really looking forward to that because it's going to put some face-to-face, you know, conversations. And and it'll just make it so much nicer than as opposed to Zoom or email. I remember the first conference I went to about four years ago, a Leading the Way conference. And um, I met all kinds of land code people there. And I was amazed at the amount of discussions where, you know, somebody who's been down the road before was sharing so much information with a so-called rookie, you know, in the land code process. But the collaboration and volunteer spirit among the land code movement across Canada is really something to behold. It is. Yeah. It's, it's so, I don't, for lack of a better word, heartwarming because it is, it's, it's, I love to see all these first stations progressing and, and taking, responsibility and 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 undertaking the big project this it is like i said i'm so grateful to be part of doig we have a massive staff here that is like we were talking about it the other day there's almost one employee for every seven members that's that's insane you know like and and to be able to offer that support to our community and have that much knowledge and and those skills on board has just been so amazing what happens next now in the process to get to operational you touched a bit on that earlier, but maybe a little more detail. Yeah. So like I said, we're on the home stretch. We're almost done with our final draft that we can begin submitting uh, to our verifier in Canada for verification. Once we do that, then we'll be able to solidify our, our vote date. Our community engagement is pretty much wrapped up at this point. Like I said, we've done we've done a lot at, at least once every couple months that we would do a big a big meeting and a mail out or brochures and, and we've utilized social media and whatnot as well. So 
So we just it, the next step, get to that vote date and and get the pe- the members in the door to to vote. We're also using one feather so that we can offer e-voting, which has been uh, really helpful. We just did our TLE vote, and it was the engagement is so much easier when people can just do it at home from their phone. So I, I encourage other First Nations to really look into that those different platforms because it, it's just so helpful to get your reach that that much further. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, it's setting up our, our governance office and, and seeing what that looks like. And that's what I'm hoping to get some advice from next week in our networking sessions. <laughs> yeah, we could almost do another podcast entirely on, on the treaty land entitlement uh, decision. That was only what, this past June, I think the agreement was signed or announced? Yeah, yeah, we just voted in, I believe it was May, and then, yeah, and in, in June it was announced, it, it passed with 100% yes votes, like, and and the voting turnout was amazing, so um, I think that attributes to how long it took to just get to that point, like, I've only been a, a small part of that for two years, and then, it, and then they all did it, and you could hear the sigh of relief from many of the employees around here, because it was just such an undertaking, and the negotiations um, I'm forever grateful to those to those members and and outside members who who helped the, all the staff that that made that happen for us. Wow, you seem really passionate about this. Have you always been interested in land issues? No, actually, um, this is a new awakening for me. Before this job, I was always in retail and customer service within the oil and gas industry and and doing parts and uh, servicing. So it was more trade work. And when this job posting came up and I I decided to take the leap and try it, it just, it really woke something up in me that, that that I am passionate and and you're not the only one who said that. And I'm, I'm glad that comes across because that's what I'm hoping to portray. And, uh, it's just like I said, the opportunities here are just fantastic and 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 never ending. And I just I wish I had realized that sooner. <laughs> well, I can see too where it would be a little bit intimidating. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to learn in fairly short order, from what I can tell. Yeah, it's been it's been intense um, switching from like I said, trades into governance and politics. It's it's a whole different world, whole different can of worms. Fascinating and frustrating. Those are the two words that go together. You know, like it—it's almost a yin and yang thing. But it—but they work. And and every day, you get two steps ahead. Sometimes you feel like you're knocked back. But it's just another day tomorrow. And and every First Nation just keeps plugging forward. And and I hope that you know more do, especially within Treaty Eight. I want to see all these nations move forward and just progress and, and do what they can for their community. There's, you know, the opportunities are endless now that land code is a, is a thing or becoming more of a thing, you know, among Canada and, and the more first nations that sign on to it, the, the stronger that our voices. Well, will it'd get. be great down the road. Uh, if you don't mind, when the big vote happens, we'd love to call you back and get an update from you. Absolutely. Anytime we're, we're always around and, and willing to share and, and uh, hopefully inspire some other first nations to, to sign on and, and, you know, take this and run with it. I know there will be listeners to the podcast who might want to follow up a little bit, maybe learn more about Doig River's experience. What's the best way for them to get in touch with you, Jasmine? Um, email, or they can phone me um, on my cell number, which I guess I can give that to you. Um, or I can, wherever they, however they want to reach me, they can even just call the office and they'll, and that receptionist will put them through to me and, and we can always set up a meeting or a quick call or, or anything. I'm happy to, try and lend my my experience and you know 
newfound knowledge as much as I can. I think maybe what we'll do is put your email address and your website address in the show notes, but we'll leave your phone number out because I'm sure you won't sure. appreciate calls at <laughs> four in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would yeah, that would be appreciated. <laughs> well, this has been a, a great conversation, Jasmine. I really appreciate the time you've shared with us and and best of luck as you head down the road with this amazing land code process. Thank you very much. It was awesome to meet you, and, and thanks for including Doig on this uh, this podcast. I've listened to many before, and and listening to the First Nations that are in the same stage as us and the ones who are operational has been inspirational to me and, and to lots of, lots of people here at Doig. And as we close this episode, we congratulate Woodland Cree Nation, which has just become the 104th First Nation to adopt its own community-based land code. Also an important save-the-date announcement, it is still some months away, but June 2023 will see a national conference on the enforcement of First Nation laws. You can find registration details at labrc.com, along with many other land code resources. Thank you for listening to our Doig River episode. I'm Richard Perry.